I'm excited about bringing God's Word to you uh, this evening. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series in the Hall of Faith, and I have the honor of preaching on Moses tonight, okay? So if you have your Bibles tonight, open to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 11, of course, for those of you who are familiar with this series. And our main text is going to be verses 24 through 29. So you can have that ready. But I want to read a verse in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17. It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I want to pray really quick. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we hear your word, as we read your word, it transforms us. This is the living word of God. And we humble ourselves before your word tonight. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive from what you have for us this evening. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you all for being here on a Sunday night. I believe this is the best place to be in the whole wide world is in, with the family of God. Amen. Amen. Uh, before we jump into our main text, I want to present this idea to you. And, you know, we've been talking about faith. And this series is called The Hall of Faith because we're looking at men of faith, right? Men that God called and that God used. But, but these men also made a decision to put their faith in God. And we see the faith in action from all of these people in, in, in this book of Hebrews. And I wanted to just focus on this idea of faith for a moment. And... You know, when we think about things in our life, our everyday, day-to-day -day life, there are a lot of things we put our faith in without even thinking about it. You know, when Pastor Terry came here today or whoever turned the lights on this evening, uh, when he flipped the switch or when you flipped the switch at your house today to turn your light on, you were expecting it to turn on, right? Right? How many of you, when you flipped your switch on this morning, nothing happened? If that happened to you, it happens every now and then, right? We get a light burned out or something. But for the most part, we expect it to turn on. Our water, we expect it to come out of the sink when we turn the faucet on. If, if it doesn't, we're in trouble, right? When we went to sleep last night, we expected to wake up this morning. How many of you can be honest and said, man, I didn't expect to wake up this morning? Anybody out there? Don't raise your hand. Okay, good. How many of you, when you got in your car on your way to church tonight, were thinking, man, I sure hope my wheels don't fall off when I'm on the highway? No, of course not. Right, kids? That's silly. Um, of course, we don't think that because we expect our wheels to carry us here in our vehicle. How many of you, in the very seat you're sitting in, expected when you plopped your rear down into that seat, it was going to sustain your body weight this evening. Throughout the, the duration of my hour and a half sermon, right? How many of you expected it to carry your weight? Now, for some of us, it might have taken more faith than others. But nevertheless, we expected it to sustain our weight. And a lot of this has to do with the definition of faith, which is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So what is it that produces faith in these things? Why do we just have faith in these things? 
Well, when we see these things prove themselves time and time again, we know the lights are going to turn on because we've done it before. We've seen that when we flip a switch, the light turns on. We know that when we drive our car, our wheels are not going to fall off because we know over the, over the years, decades and decades, that cars have been made to last on the highway without the wheels falling off. We know that when we sit in our seat, it's not going to fall apart because we've seen that it will support our weight. The Word of God is the same way. The Word of God is the exact same way, in fact. And in Hebrews 4, 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word is alive. Amen. Can I get an Amen. God's word is alive today. It was alive yesterday. It will be alive forever. It's constantly producing the substance of its identity. This book has an identity, okay? And it produces the substance of that identity. When someone or something reproduces the substance of its identity, it produces a genuine faith in that person or thing. This is why we can trust things because we've seen the reproduction of what that particular thing is claiming to produce, right? We see that when we flip a light switch, electricity comes from that and light source comes from that. So the light switch is identifying. We've said, hey, this light switch is going to produce light. We turn it on. It produces light. OK, we're putting our faith in that. OK, God's word is the same. The word of God has an identity. The identity of God's word, I like to say this way, a holy, loving God who makes a way for unrighteous humanity to be in fellowship with him. God's word is about a loving God. You know, you think about John 3:16, for God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life this is the identity of the word of God we see its identity in the old testament in the old covenant all the way to the new testament in the new covenant with Jesus Christ the word substance therefore is the faithfulness of God God is faithful to his promises he is a loving holy God that is faithful Without Jesus coming and dying on a cross, without John 3.16, without the Old Testament revealing to us the character of God, the love of God, we are not able to see the faithfulness of God. But because of these things, because God loves us, because He sent His Son Jesus to die for us, we are able to see the faithfulness of God. And so when we see this, when we see God's word living and active in our lives today, it produces a genuine, unwavering faith in Jesus Christ. And so to, tonight, we're going to look at some of this substance, some of God's faithfulness. And more specifically, we're going to zero in on Moses and see how God was faithful to the Hebrew, but also how Moses was faithful to God. And so we're going to be looking at Moses. Um, Moses 
is one of the most popular men in the Bible, one of the most popular people in the Bible. For those of you who don't know, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's also known as the Law of Moses or the Mosaic Law. Jesus himself references this law along with the entirety of the Old Testament, but he references this law when he mentions his two greatest commandments. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 39, it says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so we see here that Jesus himself lays the foundation for the two greatest commandments on the law. And certainly on the Pentateuch. Besides the Pentateuch, there's over 50 individual references to Moses in the New Testament alone. I counted. I printed out a sheet and counted myself. There's over 50 references to Moses. And certainly, we're not going to go over all those tonight. We don't have the time for that. But there's many things about Moses that we could examine tonight. Some of them, not that great. Moses was a man just like I am, just like we are, right? He was human. He was not a perfect man. And that's good for us because it gives us an example to look to of someone that God can use, right? God can use anybody in this room. We don't have to be perfect people. In fact, God wants us to not be perfect so that his glory would shine, that his strength would shine in our weakness. And certainly we see that in the life of Moses. And so tonight we're going to solely be focusing on his faith in God and what that faith in God produced in his life and what we can take from that and, and see produce in our lives as we go from here. Hebrews 3 verse 5, I want to read one more verse and then we'll jump to our main text. It says, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. So Moses was not a perfect man. But he was a faithful man, and he was faithful to his God. So if, you're, if you have Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we're going to read verses 24 through 29 together. And I'm reading in the ESV here, so let's read that together. It says, let's see, where am I at? Okay. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's talking about God, by the way, him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover 
and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. You know, two weeks ago, Pastor Matt gave a a message on Sunday night about Moses' parents' faith and what they risked and what they were going through at the time, having to decide whether to risk their own livelihood, their own probably punishment of their own family if they didn't follow the decree of Pharaoh to kill their newborn baby. But instead they trusted in God. And I just want to read this uh, passage in Acts chapter 7. This is the disciple Stephen recounting uh, Moses' life. And I want to read verses 17 through 22. So just bear with me as we just keep reading these scriptures tonight. But the word of God is living and it's alive, right? So this is good. The less I talk, the more of God's word, the better. Acts 7, chapter 17 through 22. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Something I just thought of, and this has nothing to do with anything spiritual, okay? In verse 20, I think it's very cute how it says, and he was beautiful in God's sight. I don't know if that means Moses was really ugly or what. Because I've said that about people. Eh, They're beautiful in God's sight. Amen. It doesn't really matter. I just thought that was funny. I just it just came to me right then. Um, But we know that God had his eye on Moses. We know that God had a plan for Moses. And we see that Moses parents wanted to honor their God, wanted to not, as as Pastor Matt was saying, not follow the rule of the government. Right. We are called as God's people to put God as the ultimate authority, not any ruler or president or government or regime, right? We are to obey and respect our government as the word instructs, but ultimately our authority is God alone. Amen. So Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew were in bondage to Egypt. Pharaoh's mandate to kill all the young Hebrew males was in full effect when Moses was born. Moses' parents' obedience to God, they were defying the king's decree, right? Pharaoh's decree. And we see that Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in a palace. Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He was, he was royalty, right? Not by blood, but by adoption, He was well-educated, but as an adult, things changed dramatically for Moses. If we look back at our main text, I'm going to be tracking along with our main text verse by verse again, rereading it. So just if you're in Hebrews 11, follow along in verse 24. 
says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So think about that for, for a moment. Moses was denouncing his, the family that raised him. He, he was saying, I'm no longer going to associate myself with this family. Now, his mother, his, his biological mother, is not the woman who raised him. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he wasn't just moving out of the house. He wasn't just moving away. This was a complete separation from his family. He was able to do this because he knew that this was not his real family. He knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew that he was part of God's promised people. This reminds me of what Jesus said regarding the cost of being his disciple. When we think about the Egyptians, when we think about the Hebrew. Luke 14, 25 through 27. It says, Now great, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is exactly what is happening with Moses. What Jesus is saying here is not, I want you to hate your parents. I want you to hate your family necessarily. What he's saying is, when you look at me, when you put your eyes and your gaze on me and you follow me, you should be willing to lay everything else down that's in the way that's going to keep you from pursuing me. That's the only way you can be called my disciple is if you lay everything else down. Even if it means you have to denounce your own family. This is, this is what Jesus calls for his disciples. That we put away our old life. It's not who we are anymore. And for Moses, this was crystal clear for him. He was putting away his, his Egyptian upbringing because he was part of God's family. This took conviction for Moses. This took conviction for him. I just, as a side note, if there's anybody here tonight, maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Maybe you didn't grow up in a home where there was a, a Bible in every room, where your parents were praying, where you were surrounded by the Word of God, by the promises of God. Maybe you've never even heard the name Jesus before. Maybe, maybe, maybe your life is so upside down right now that you can't even begin to think, how could I rise up out of, out of this? How could I break this curse in my, my life? I just want to tell you, look at Moses. Look at the life of Moses. He was raised in one of the most under the, one of the most evil, wicked regimes of Pharaoh, right? Of, of the Egyptians. But yet he had the conviction to step out, to take a step of faith and to identify with the family and God. Just like Moses did, you can do that today. You can do that tonight. So there are three things 
Three things tonight that I want to highlight in the life of Moses. Now, there are many things we could highlight, but there are three things that I want to highlight. And these have to do with genuine faith. The first thing that genuine faith produces is conviction. Conviction. But conviction of what specifically? Let's read verse 25 again, Hebrews 11. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Genuine faith for the believer produces the conviction of sin. It produces conviction of our sin. Moses decided to turn away from this sin lifestyle that came along with being an Egyptian. Psalm 84 verse 10 It says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This is what what looking to Christ will do in your life. Sin becomes less appealing. When you look to Christ, the things of this world grow strangely dim, right? As the song goes, in the light of His glory and grace, turn your eyes upon Jesus. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we put our faith in Christ, sin becomes less and less appealing. The conviction of our sin becomes so evident that we're able to deny ourselves regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what we have to leave behind because we know that greater is in store for us when we put our faith and trust in Christ. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses placed a greater value in suffering for the Lord than Egyptian treasure, than Egyptian pleasure, than the wealth of Egypt. He he, he saw a greater value in suffering because of his faith. Philippians 3, 7 and 8 says, but whatever gain I had, this is the Apostle Paul, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul understands this concept that suffering for Christ is worth so much more than any kind of physical attainability, any kind of success, any kind of um, wealth or fame. Suffering for Christ is our future reward. It's it's of great value to suffer for Christ. 1 Peter 4, verse 14 says, "If If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's basically saying, if you're being insulted for your faith, God's glory is resting on you. Because, because you're, you're resisting the enemy. And so when we face 
verbal persecution, we're, you're doing something right. You're doing something right. God's glory, it says, this, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So don't be discouraged when you face persecution today. It's just a little something to be aware of. Verse 16, 1 Peter 4, 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Ultimately, whatever suffering we face, we need to trust our creator. We need to trust God. We're going to face persecution till the day we die if we're doing it right. If we're proclaiming the name of Christ in this society today, you better be feeling some persecution. Right? We, we should look nothing like the world today. We should look nothing like the world. When we proclaim the truth, resistance will come. But we can trust in our Creator. We can trust in Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those two words, abide forever, remind me of, of Moses in verse 26 that we just read. He, he was looking to the eternal reward. Moses knew the promise of God. He knew that God was God. And he knew that he could suffer for a little while because of that eternal reward. So the first thing we see in Moses' life that genuine faith produced was conviction of sin. Moses turning away from his old life to suffer for the Lord. The second thing genuine faith produces, let's look at verse 27 again, Hebrews 11. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now just real quickly, I think this is referring to the second time Moses left Egypt. The first time he left, he had just slain an Egyptian for abusing another Hebrew. And he left out of fear of Pharaoh. And so in the book of Exodus, we see that he wandered into the wilderness of, of Midian and he dwelt there for 40 years before God spoke to him at the burning bush. So by this time, Moses was 80 years old, around 80. I don't think he had any plans of returning to Egypt other than God coming down and speaking to Moses in that burning bush. And we see that when God called Moses back to Egypt, even though Moses was a little reluctant at first, he yielded his life to the call of God. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So we see that Moses returned to Egypt. But what could cause one man to not fear the kingdom of Pharaoh? 
What could cause one man to not fear the kingdom of Pharaoh? His fear of God was greater. He feared God more than he feared Pharaoh. So the second thing our genuine faith will produce is the fear of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I'm going to read verse 18, but I just want you to notice here, Paul is referring to his affliction as light momentary affliction. The same Paul who who had been imprisoned, beaten, ridiculed, really facing severe persecution, considers it light momentary affliction. Paul, what what an amazing man of faith. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Moses didn't fear the potential momentary afflictions of Pharaoh because he feared his God greater than anybody else. He was looking forward to God's promise. He knew that God would come through. So for us today, the fear of the Lord is our confidence. We can have confidence if we put our trust in Christ, if we fear the Lord, if we have reverence for the Lord. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Fearing the Lord, we see with Moses, without God in the picture, just think of Moses going before Pharaoh. This shepherd walks into a palace It says, let God's people go. Picture that today. Some guy with a staff, an 80-year-old man, walks into the White House and starts yelling at President Biden. I mean, it would be such a sight to see, right? I think it would be kind of of cool, actually. But anyway, it's, it's a crazy situation, but for it being the plan of God, right? Moses... Out of his fear for the Lord, it, it wasn't anything that he was reluctant to do. He, he did it out of obedience. And so what we see here is fearing the Lord helps us to make the right decision in a tough situation. So for us in our lives today, we might be going through some tough, we might be facing some tough things, some tough decisions. But those tough decisions those tough life choices, those tough conversations we might need to be having with some people. If we are confident to place our trust in the Word of God above all else as our authority, out of our fear and reverence for the Lord, it makes those tough decisions easier and easier and easier because we're standing firm on the promises of God in confidence, with confidence, knowing that He will see us through because His Word is alive for us today. And we even see that that Moses himself, after the Exodus, in Exodus 20, verse 20, 
He says to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Not only does the fear of the Lord produce confidence against the enemy, produces a reverence for God that helps us to rid sin from our lives. Fearing the Lord is a powerful thing. When you, when you become aware of how powerful God is and how wicked we are in our sin, it produces a desire for us to please the Lord by sinning less. It produces a desire in us to set up safeguards in our life, to set up accountability in our life, to turn away from sin out of the fear of the Lord. And certainly Moses had fear for his God. Verse 28, Hebrews 11. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. God's instruction here to Moses was not very normal. Now, certainly they, it was normal for them to make sacrifice, blood sacrifices to the Lord of, of lamb's blood. But in this particular account, God gave Moses very specific in, instructions of how to sprinkle the lamb's blood on the doorposts, on the lintel, and how to, when to, to kill the goat, the lamb, right? When to cook the lamb, how to eat the lamb, at what time of the night they had to be in their house eating the Passover lamb. What to do with the remains if it was not all eaten, how it had to be burned up. Very specific instructions, a little out of the ordinary. But yet we see in Exodus chapter 12, we're not going to read it tonight, but you can go there and read it. After God gives these instructions to Moses, Moses in turn goes to the elders and gives them the instructions that God had given him. And they obey immediately with no hesitation. In verse 29, it says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This is, of course, the Red Sea account that we see in Exodus chapter 14. I want to read three verses from that account. Chapter 14, verse 12. It says, Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. For the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Amen. This passage in Exodus leads us to our final point tonight. The third thing that we see in Moses' life example that genuine faith produces is a complete trust in God. Complete trust in God. In verse 29, we see that Moses proclaims God's faithfulness before the miracle even takes place. 
This is one of the, the, the things that the, the movie The Ten Commandments actually gets right, if you've ever seen that movie, where Moses proclaims the faithfulness of God to the people. They're complaining to Moses, you led us out of Egypt for what? So we can get our hopes up only to be slaughtered by the Egyptians? Yet Moses stands firm on his, faith, on his faithfulness to God, on his complete trust in God, and proclaims God's faithfulness before the Red Sea is even parted. And we know the rest of the story. God parts the Red Sea. It says in, in the Exodus account that the waters were on the right and on the left, and that the people of God walked through on dry ground saving them from death, saving them from uh, being enslaved by the Egyptians once again. And so we see here that Moses did not even see the peril that was before him. The other people, they saw it. They saw destruction coming, coming towards them. But Moses, all he could see was God's faithfulness because he had seen it proven time and time again. And he had complete trust in God. He knew that God was going to save them. He didn't have to wait till after to worship, to proclaim the goodness of God, which he did do after as well. But we see here that he proclaimed God's faithfulness even before the miracle. That's a challenge for us today. To proclaim God's faithfulness before the miracle. How many of you are believing for a miracle in your life right now? Maybe in your family, maybe health, anything. You need a miracle. You know that you cannot do it on your own. Begin to proclaim the goodness of God right now in that situation. Begin to proclaim God's faithfulness in your life. Don't complain about it. Proclaim his faithfulness in your life and watch what God will do. Just to recap our three points tonight. Genuine faith produces, as we see in the life of Moses, number one, a conviction of sin. Right As we realize our identity in Christ, as we are now new creations, our faith produces a conviction of our sin that put Christ on the cross. Number two, it produces the fear of the Lord where we can look to God's word as our ultimate authority. Where we can listen to the voice of the Lord, follow the leading of the Spirit above all else, above any words of man, above the approval of anyone. What does God have to say about it? The fear of the Lord. And number three, genuine faith produces complete trust in God. Now, that might sound kind of silly, right? Faith, believing in God, produces belief in God. But there's a difference. There, there's a, there is a difference, a distinction, when we completely trust in God. There's no hesitation, right? We know what God's word says, and we go, and we follow it. We lean on God 100%. That's the type of trust that we need to have in our God as the one true God, Amen. For us tonight, 
Let me just say something. If there's anybody new here tonight, if there's anybody here tonight who maybe you haven't yet put your faith in Christ, maybe something I read tonight from God's word or, or something was said that is stirring something up in your heart, in your spirit, maybe you feel the Lord drawing you tonight. I just want to encourage you. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter how deep in the pit you think you are. Call on the name of the Lord. Repent of your sin. Turn from your wickedness and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. Put your faith and trust in Him today. Today can be your day of salvation. And you can put your complete trust in Christ today. That's the good news. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. The reason it's good news is because of the bad news. We see from verse 28 and 29 what happens to the wicked people. What happens to the people who are not part of God's family? A holy, loving, yet just God inflicts his wrath on sin. The Word of God says that sin leads to death. That the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But nevertheless, know that, that God's wrath will be inflicted on those who do not put their faith and trust in Christ. Put your faith and trust in Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, you are the almighty God. Holy are you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, without your word, we are lost. We have no hope without you. Yet with you, we have eternal life. We are made righteous before God through Jesus Christ. For those of us who call on the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus. Lord, help us as we go from here Help us to practice our faith, to be men and women who practice their faith, who put their faith into action, just like Moses did. Just like Moses walked away from an easy life. He walked away because it was a life of sin. Even though his new life might be difficult, he was willing to suffer for Christ because that's where the eternal reward for all of us is. Lord, help us to be men and women who fear you above anyone and anything, who fear your word above all others, who fear your approval above any other approval of man. And help us to be men and women who put our complete trust in you, no matter what situation, no matter what we face in this life, no matter what happens, we can put our trust in you as our Savior and as our Lord. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. 
Amen.